Hi folks, Professor Chetlin here and welcome to Office Hours Summer Sessions. For the next few weeks as we enjoy our summer break, Office Hours will release a podcast every other week and we're focusing on things that we can learn, whether it's how to be an adult, life in Appalachia, or study abroad, Office Hours Summer School will provide a little bit of enrichment as you relax from the school year. Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. Hey, Marsha. Hey, Alex. How are you? I'm good now that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a quick question for you. So my okay. husband has gotten this thing that we can play vintage video games. Wow. I know how to play one of those. I like know none of these games. I know how to play like Super Mario Brothers. Okay. And oh. that is it. Meanwhile... Like, my husband will be like, oh, don't you know this game? It's from 1987, and it was based on the epic of Gilgamesh, and you just have to jump and punch. And I'm like, I can't. I can't. Um, I have never been able to have the patience, the manual dexterity, and the steely focus necessary to get into video games. Are you into games? What a what a big topic. I used to be actually much more so as a mm-hmm. child and as a teenager. Like I did play video games because that's the one way I bonded with my brother who uh. has encyclopedic knowledge of all things related to video games, comic books, what what have you. Just it's frightening. Like you can name an issue, he'll tell you anything about mm-hmm. it. Really prodigious. Um so we would bond over that and we that's would play sweet. games, but no, I actually like was I was a bit of a gamer, like, as a youth, you know, Mm -hmm. when I wasn't getting into my own hijinks. So, the gamer stuff is fascinating to me because it's really a world I don't know, but anytime I read about gamer stuff, it's, like, scary trolling. Yes. It's, like, horrible hashtag Twitter harassment. There's a lot of sexism, and there's, like, a lot of gender trouble in the gaming world. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, so, my boyfriend and I live together, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm always hearing him he's playing video games on his computer with his friends and what happens is there's these open games and there's like 12 year olds on there and i'm hearing 12 year old kids screaming to him like drink bleach drink bleach <laughs> what, just, what? Just, just in these really high-pitched voices not affected by puberty like no. drink bleach <laughs> yelling at him no and, way yeah aggressively Where? hey what is going on? I'm just like, whoa, where did you learn that? And then I'm hearing these swear words. I'm like, I didn't even know that was a swear word at your age. Like, where are your parents? So it's a hyper-aggressive competitive culture. Hyper-aggressive. And it's anonymous. It's like the Twitter problem. It's like, you're a badass and you'll say anything to anyone if it's in 140 characters and you don't have to look at them. And everyone has like a persona. Pretty much. And it's all of this stuff. I mean... I find it such a bizarre thing because, again, it has so much creativity and so much artistry. And absolutely, anytime I know nothing about games, but occasionally when I see things associated with them, the technology and the innovation is amazing. It's brilliant. And then it's like we're gonna make this as hostile and awful <laughs> to as many people as possible, so that it's this like thing that celebrates creativity and has no desire to kind of foster openness. And that's something that I just find fascinating. 
Yeah, there's almost this sense of exclusivity. It's, it, it feels like a hazing ritual, mm-hmm. as if, you know, are you really into it? Do you really believe it? Are you an authentic gamer? Are you an authentic nerd? Because, like, part of the whole culture, I think, mm-hmm. is sort of broadly associated with gaming uh-huh. and nerddom. It's, yes. it's the obsession. It's a singular focus on, like, this thing. This above all else. And so, like, what what has to go by the wayside manners, so folk invention, <laughs> like human decency. <laughs> It's like if you're going to get to this next level, you have to be terrible. I mean, I think it, I have, I have so little knowledge of this. And at the same time, I think about just how weird it is. Again, we have this wide open space called the internet. And so it is open and so treacherous all at the same time. It's like a joke, right? It becomes like a mirage in a sense. And so, um, also, I'm not, I don't know anything like nerd stuff. Like when my husband and I go play trivia and we are very good and we beat teams. Yes, you do. Our downfall though is that we something about comic books, action movies, mm. um, Harry Potter. Oh. We're just, we're, we're, we've aged out of that. Absolutely. And so we miss an entire kind of part of the culture that apparently everyone is into. And now that there's such a celebration of nerds, like we are completely out of the loop. Yeah. It. And it is funny because even you're seeing now common references like ten points to you. Everyone knows if you if you've read Harry Potter, you know that that's. I a have reference. never read Harry Potter. Really, I saw one of the Harry Potter movies, I think, but I can't remember what happened to it. I remember the kid was under the stairs, and there was a lot of like early childhood neglect, and I was kind of done with it. I don't know any of this. I know Hermione because she's the girl, yeah. and then the boys Ron. Yeah. And then the guy from How to Get Away with Murder was yes. in it as a kid. <laughs> and that is the beginning and end of my Harry Potter thing. And at this point, I'm too exhausted to want to delve into it. But you're looking at me with such shock and dismay no, that I might have to join it to be friends with you. I mean, no, not shock and dismay. I'm just thinking, like, man, yeah, is it too late? I don't know, because I could, I could see... <laughs> It's, I hear it's really well written. I yeah, I loved it. I thought they were such wonderful books as a kid. Yeah. Um. I mean, I really think it's like modern equivalent Wizard of Oz. Actually, I don't even think that's a fair analogy. I think it stands on its own. It's like it's it's Harry Potter. Like it seems really imaginative. It it was, and it was so interesting. And there's so many clever little illusions, even mm-hmm. if you're reading it as an adult, and you can like look at like for example, like the serious like black family. That's like his mm-hmm. um. Godfather, mm-hmm. Harry Potter's Godfather, like they're based on this really fa- prominent British family, the Midford sisters. Oh, interesting. Who were kind of terrible, and like one of them was like cavorting with Hitler, and like oh my gosh, that's yes, so, that's so deep. Yeah, I know. And that's right? in the book. Yeah, well, so like the the characters are based on it, and I you see. can like figure it out. And even if you look at the names of the characters, like there's clear references back to Greek stories so there's all these little things she puts in and then she'll make little clues in the books and you'll read something earlier and if you were obsessive as a child not not (laughs) Not that i was (laughs) you might have like seen like oh the tapestry in the fifth book like that alluded to this person blah 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 and then in the sixth book there was the huge reveal like it's very set up and so it's this is how i feel about star wars yeah. Never saw it until like three months ago. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. And I was posting on Facebook every five seconds because I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't understand how this world galaxy time thing had no women in it. Like, what is that? And there were like very few people of color. I'm like, what happened to them? Right? But that aside, I'm trying to watch Star Wars and all I can, I can appreciate how imaginative it is because it's so weird. There's nothing like Star Wars. Like the, 
the like animal war, whatever the hell any of those things are like a tauntaun. What the hell is that? And like sabers and all of this. So I appreciate the imaginative process of creating a completely different world. Yeah. Could I do a deep dive into Star Wars? I don't think I'm made of it. No. And I think, I think there's some things you have to choose your obsessions. <laughs> And I, like, I choose one. Mine's like true crime. That's um, wonderful. <laughs> documentaries about like food and ephemera. I can do that. Like I just saw this documentary on Chinese food. On actually not Chinese food. General Tso's chicken specifically. That's and great. I could join that. Like I could be down with that community. Yeah. But if I had to remember everything in a Star Wars, like what's a Wookiee? What's this like? The bot thing and then this other stuff. Like, see, this is where it, it, it's a struggle. <laughs> Today on the podcast, I'm talking to soon-to-graduate senior Annie Barbeau about gaming. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. Yeah. Glad to be almost graduating. <laughs> glad to not have to take exams soon. <laughs> well, listeners, it, just for a little context, um, Annie was my class, the intro to civil rights class. Yeah. Um, and is the um, brains behind the office hours of podcast production because she helps me get into studio time. She's very kind with me when I ask for equipment I don't know the name of. So I appreciate your help in this effort. Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you is last time I was trolling you and asking what was going on, you said you were working on a video game, The yeah. Score. So tell me about being a musician and interested in gaming at the same time. Alright, um, well, being a musician, being interested in games, well, games obviously include a lot of music <laughs> yes, as a thing. Uh, video game scores are actually a pretty big deal. People talk a lot about the music in video games. It's got, like, its own big cult following, like, just games with super big scores, like, having a good score is a big selling point for a lot of games. Um, video games also, there's, like, a whole subsection of video games also that is just entirely devoted to music, so, like, rhythm games. What is that? So it's things like Dance Dance Revolution. Oh my gosh, I love that. I do know so, that. Now, for DDR, is DDR still popular? Not, I mean, like, in arcades, specifically in arcades. It, it doesn't really happen. It revolutionized people's lives, like, six or seven years ago. Um, that and Guitar Hero came yeah, after Guitar it. Guitar Hero is another rhythm game. Um, and do they actually use the real song, or do they use, like, an electronic version of the song? It depends. It depends on whether they get the rights. Mm -hmm. So if they can get the rights to the song, they'll just stick the original version. It's, it's usually like a shorter version of the song. They can't, they'll just do a cover. Yes. Yes, yeah. they will. And sometimes it's a little bad. Yeah, and like, they'll be like, it'll be like the song they're like made famous by. And that's how you can tell automatically like this is a cover, not the original version. Got it. Yeah. So wait, why do, before we get into, I guess, games, what instruments do you play? How did you get into music? Okay, um, so I actually started playing piano when I was five. It mm -hmm. was like, both of my sisters played piano. It was kind of just like, this is what we do, because my mom would play piano when she was a child also. Um, so I started piano when I was five, and then from there I started playing cello. And after that it was just kind of like, I guess this is my hobby now. Mm -hmm. Playing music is just <laughs> what I do with my free time. So I just kind of picked up like guitar and like electric bass. Wait, wait. when you say pick up, did you take lessons or did you just like um, start doing them? I just started doing it. We had like a guitar in the house mm -hmm. that one of my sisters had like tried to learn and then had gotten bored with it and gave up. So I was like, this is here. I guess I'll try it out. And I had already had the foundation from other stuff. So I, it was easier for me to learn it. And then after that, once I had guitar, like electric bass was way easier. And then 
um, rock band actually kind of taught me drums, so I got it's drums amazing. from that. Um, and then like ukulele afterwards, because it's, it's <laughs> ukulele's practically guitar is just smaller. Yeah, it's a very hip instrument right it now. It is. Um, my brother-in-law is a hipster, and he's like a hundred. <laughs> he can like materialize them wherever he goes because he lives in um, Brooklyn. But um, so. The, the thing that I think is kind of interesting about the instruments that you said that you were learning, so piano, I think, is one of those things a lot of kids learn to play. Yeah. Um, but one of the things uh, my producer, Alex Tyson, has taught me is that there's a lot of gender politics about guitar and about who gets to play guitar. Yeah, there there are. It's. Um, I was actually, I took, as a music major, I had to take history of rock as one of, like, the mm-hmm. many prerequisites. Um and the interesting thing is, like, electric guitar is its very masculine. It's very masculine-coded instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, women, when they pick up electric guitar for some reason, it's like, people are kind of weirded out by it. They're like, why are you playing an electric guitar? Because it's so powerful. Like, I don't know why. I think it's, it's like a stand-in for, like, <laughs> something. It's like comp- overcompensation or whatever. Interesting. But, like, whenever you hear, like... Music that's coded for women, it tends to be acoustic. It's like it's like oh. an acoustic guitar. Like, like the guitar. stuff I listen on Sirius XM. Yeah, it's like, like Coffee House, right, Indigo like, Girls. Like they'll play guitar, but it's it's an acoustic guitar. It's not like you don't get these shredding solos out of women. Like Saint Vincent's one of the only like current artists I can think of that plays electric. Alex guitar. talks about Saint Vincent all the time, <laughs> and then she designed a guitar for Made, women yeah, for that women. you can do it. Very interesting. Yeah. And so, in picking up these instruments, did you find yourself, um, were you really um, drawn to other kids who played these instruments, or did you see it as a solitary activity? Uh, so I, I mean, piano was always very solitary activity. It's kind of, even piano, on, like, piano ensembles don't really happen. But playing cello, like, I went through a school orchestra program, so mm-hmm. I've always been in orchestras playing cello or, like, in ensembles. So that's always been, like, a collective group activity. Uh, I was in jazz band when I played bass. Um, guitar was always more of like a solitary thing, so it was just like a hobby mm-hmm. in and of itself. But it's always been like a mixture of just like either it's a thing that I do on my own or something that I would do with a group. And so gaming. Right. How does it start? <laughs> do you have like a Nintendo? You're, wait, you're too young to like I know should... the Nintendo, or do you no, like I... old games? Um, so we had an NES in my house, so I got, I got introduced to games from my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad, I think, is a little, my dad's a little bit too technology adverse to be into (laughs) that kind of thing. Um, but my mom played video games, and that's kind of how I got introduced to it. Got it. Um, so we had an NES in the house, I played all the classics, like, Duck Hunt, and, like, the original Super Mario Brothers. We had, like, the Game Genie that you had to let, like, let you access the cheat codes, and you had to, like, blow into the cartridge. Yes, you know that! This is classic! You're connecting. Yeah, I experienced all those things (laughs) firsthand. Um, My first video game was actually Duke Nukem 3D, which came out in 1994. Yeah, that sounds Um, really violent. It was, so, this was the classic game that, like, you, like, punch out (laughs) Mecha-Hitler. This was an actual plot point. The final battle was you fought Mecha Hitler oh um, at the end of the game. Uh, but as a kid, this was like even before I could read. I don't even have memories a lot of like how I learned to play this game, just memories of playing it. Apparently I would watch my parents play, and I learned how to navigate the menu screen from watching them play, and then eventually I would just crawl up there and play it on my own. Interesting. And what, did you, what do you like about games? I 
I think it's just like the interactivity of it. Like it's kind of like plit, like reading a book, except you don't have to imagine things and you actually get to do things. So it's just like that kind of. It's like the mixture of like the hand-eye coordination, like the involvement in a storyline. Um, like I mean, I like really, I, I enjoy reading and I enjoy like getting. I enjoy reading and like I enjoy getting immersed in a storyline, but I also enjoy like the thing I like most about games is kind of it breaks down that fourth wall and mm-hmm. kind of like sticks you in the experience. So that's one of the things that I really that I think is really cool. I personally like my favorite kind of video games is like the really big overarching like RPGs with the super Ro- was it role player games? Yeah, role playing games. Mm-hmm. Like the ones with like the super involved storylines <laughs> that are ridiculously convoluted and take you like eighty hours to play so you never finish them ever. But like So um when do you so RPGs are the ones that you like download on your regular computer or you can and like yeah. okay what's the so are you do you play the games where you put the headset in and you scream at someone who's also playing with you from like another like computer do you know what i'm talking what like, am i talking about like call of duty or something yes like that? where it's like all like abuse of the other people i used to in <laughs> middle school mm-hmm. and then i got really tired of it because they're all the same <laughs> they're essentially all the same game mm-hmm. um and you're starting to see now like major video game publications are also starting to acknowledge that they're essentially the same game with slightly prettier graphics every time a new iteration comes out but when it gets right down to it, like those games are all about the multiplayer, and the gameplay is essentially the same thing. Got like, it. Every and they're fun, but they get really boring. Really, mm-hmm. at least to me, they get really boring really quickly because it is essentially you're doing the same thing every time. There's nothing novel about the concept in the end. So like, I had a lot of fun when I was like twelve playing this game, I guess getting cursed out by people 20 years older than me. Well, see, this is the the part of the thing that makes me a little uncomfortable, because one of the things that we chatted about, and I guess it can get more serious, so there's an understanding when you're playing these games that people are going to kind of menace you, but then there's this whole, like, other kind of world of online harassment that's tied into video games that I read about a lot with Gamergate, and um, so that seems to be not about the games people are playing with each other, it's people in the same community. Can you explain yeah. that to me? Yeah, it's it's Gamergate is still something that I can't really believe actually happened, just because when I think about it, it's like, it was 2014, and I'd like to think that we had advanced enough as a society <laughs> yes. that, as things, a like that <laughs> things like that shouldn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's just kind of like, Gamergate was an opportunity for a bunch of people who would just like the chance to harass people like it was mm-hmm. a perfect opportunity for that to happen with the anonymity of the internet like preventing any kind of like recourse against them from like hurting them with that so people with like above average computer knowledge they can like take all of your personal information just reveal it and um so and doxing is also part of this yeah so ga- doxing happened a lot during Gamergate especially I don't during think the, I realized that during, it was during the earliest stages of mm-hmm. Gamergate like before I think even before they started calling it Gamergate like I see when the very beginning a lot of really big name indie developers got doxed for like stating their opinion and what was going on I see and a lot of them were just like we're quitting the internet forever and then I think some of them have come back since but it was like it was a very big deal like just following it as as it was happening was just kind of a mess so essentially there is a a woman who spent time talking about online harassment and the gaming community 
gets a platform and then she like the internet just unleashes on her. Well actually what had originally happened with mm-hmm. Gamergate was Zoe so Zoe Quinn, who was an indie game developer, she developed Depression Quest. Um, which was it's a pretty like in the indie game community it's like a pretty well received game. It's pretty like it's it's got good reviews. What like her ex boyfriend, I guess, decided she needed to be taught a lesson or whatever, something terrible. Went on, I think it was 4chan, it might have been Reddit, one of those sites, and it's made up this complete lie that she had slept with a journalist on Kotaku, I think, to get a good review for her game. And these people who did not fact check because that article never existed were like, this is the perfect opportunity to harass someone, and started like doing all of this terrible stuff, doxing her, like just endless harassment. And all of these people were like, whoa there, guys, maybe you should calm down, this never happened, and they were using like ethics and game journalism as their like justification for why they were doing it, even though like the journalist who was in question was not getting nearly as much like backlash as Zoe Quinn was. And then every time like a female journalist or like so people like Brianna Wu or like India mm-hmm. Sakesian, whenever they stepped up and they were like, guys, this is a major problem. Like these women are getting harassed for essentially doing nothing for like all of these completely like made up like accusations. They're getting all of this harassment, all of this like hate directed at them all of these men who are involved are not getting nearly as much like this is a very clear representation of like kind of this gender double standard in the gaming community like so they would get all of this stuff thrown at them also and it was just like this constant that's kind of like how it started and why it's still continuing today it's like this very vocal minority in the gaming community that just won't stop and like and most of the people who do things regarding Gamergate are bots like people who wrote bots to essentially spam people mm-hmm. with like very offensive messages, right? Just so that like they will get so tired of hearing it that they'll just leave, right? Um, I know at one point a program, a female programmer, when she was like a little bit drunk, wrote a script that would block all of these things, and she like they tried to get her off the internet because she wrote the script, she wouldn't see any of it, and it's like it like stopped. It stopped, like, a lot of, like, the the harassment just because the script blocked out. Like, it would filter all of these known gamer gators, and it would, like, automatically block them. So, if they tried to message you, like... Interesting. And that would probably make them furious. It it made them so angry, but then, like, they couldn't do anything about it because they were blocked (laughs) and you didn't see anything. That's, like, the ultimate troll move. I love it. They were so mad, but they couldn't do anything to you after that because all they do is shout at you. Until you until you get so frustrated that you just like I just can't do this anymore and you you leave the internet. So when you think about entering gaming kind of professionally, do you think about that as a real threat or do you really see it as a small group of people who are who just kind of occasionally lash out? It's definitely something that you have to worry about. Um, just like thinking about it, one of like the really prominent gamer gators is actually somewhat is the pretty high up exec in Blizzard, I believe. Like, yeah, actually, it's, it's kind of terrifying when you think about, like, people who occupy pretty important roles in gaming companies could have these kinds of things. I actually talked to someone who works for, um, I believe it's, uh, was it Riot Games? Uh, someone, someone connected me to someone I was talking to them, and I asked them, because uh, it's, it's a woman, 
like if she ever experienced anything like this and she said more or less like it's happened like it doesn't happen nearly it's definitely more on like the fan side than it is on the developer side wait a second the fans act crazy with you like there have there are definitely more situations where like fans who get upset about things will just like spew stuff at creators then like creators will be like blatantly disrespectful or discriminatory to you I think in the general expectation like in the industry is that the developers are way more progressive than the market is oh that's interesting yeah like it seems like the developers want to do more progressive things and the market is always the one who's like how dare you put a (laughs) black person in my video game but I thought the video game market is like young people is it just like young people who can't deal with change Possibly, I think. I mean, not to set up the straw man that like all young people are so progressive and open minded, but um, I guess the average age of the person who's buying and enjoying these games is not as young as probably I imagine. It's probably people who are closer to my age in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is, it really depends on like who's speaking up because I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of people. For example, it's like Fallout Four recently put in, um, like like with Fallout 4's character creation. Or, like, if someone, like, whenever they display, like, oh, we put a woman in this trailer because it's it's a character creation, you can play as anyone. Mm-hmm. People get really upset because they're like, we wanted to play our generic white male, like, stubbly, brown-haired <laughs> guy. This is so upsetting. But it's like, and it's like, these, like, the people who get upset about it are the ones who are going to, like, write endless articles about it. But most people who are going to buy the game don't actually... Got it. Because like, it's like the people who tweet um, when Hunger Games comes out, and they're like, "Oh no, this character is black. I hate this movie." Yeah. And you're like, "Who are these people?" But I think that you know, one of the things that um, that I find really interesting about this world is that um, for you, I'm sure you were like a very bright student, and you're a very good student now, and you played all these instruments. Did you think about going to, like, a college that was oriented towards music or towards gaming specifically? I considered it briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I ended up coming here for, like, mostly financial reasons. Got it. But, uh, I mean, it's like, you think about it, like, all of the, the gross harassment stuff that happens. I think... Like, I'm, I mostly want to be hopeful and, like, optimistic mm-hmm. for the future because, like, it, it is getting better and, like, I think there's been a lot of pushback, especially in recent years, because video games have made a pretty recent... Video games have only recently, like, kind of been considered an art form. Like, instead of Instead of purely, like, entertainment. So they've mostly been... Re- so more recently they've been regard like, been judged and regarded as art and therefore, like, they've been critiqued more like art. So they've been judged more harshly and, like, more critically. So a lot of the stuff that they could get away with before, a lot of, like, the more, like, offensive things that developers could slide in there that fans would normally be, like, completely okay with, that developers definitely would not be able Mm -hmm. to get away with because they're like, we're going to judge this, we're going to critique this, like, art now. Like, they just... These things wouldn't fly. That's so interesting. If it's art, but, like... So there's definitely been a more progressive push. Mm-hmm. Whenever, like, progressive things happen, like, there's definitely tons of pushback always. Right. Like, we're seeing it in TV and film right now. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's just, that's the era that we're living in. How does your interest in gaming then, like, influence the kind of television and movies? Are you a comic books 
I do like comic books, mm-hmm. which is another unfortunate medium <laughs> to be a fan of. Like, I don't see. I, I I don't know anything about comic books. I just know there's like a lot of Twitter beefing with dudes about content. Like, uh. if you look at the timelines of like some very prominent like male writers, once the like comic book conversation starts I don't even know (laughs) you know like I understand debates about gun control and all the nuance but once the comic book talk starts this is where I like leave yeah I think a lot of the problems with the comic books is that a lot of them are being adapted to movies interesting and once they get adapted to movies a lot of the cooler aspects and by cooler I mean like a lot of the more progressive aspects of them get like watered down Mm mm-hmm I know one really good example is so for like the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, we had there was like two characters the um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver they're canonically Romani Jews oh interesting for the for Age of Ultron they were completely whitewashed interesting like just completely whitewashed like none of that heritage is preserved at all and it's just like we have these two like two I mean, like, Romani characters in any kind of medium, Absolutely. like, you never see them, and it's just like... Here's an opportunity. But no, instead we don't have it. Or, like, Doctor Strange, which is being produced. Like, first of all, like, Doctor Strange as a character has always been kind of, like, ambiguous in ethnicity. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's white, sometimes he's, like, ambiguously Middle Eastern. It's like he's being uh, portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch. Of course. Which, <laughs> he was, a, like, a problematic actor in a number of different instances, but, like... So he's being portrayed as Benedict Cumberbatch. The Ancient One, like, the whole series, I don't really follow Doctor Strange personally, mm-hmm. but I've, like, read enough about this to kind of get an idea of why everyone's so angry about this movie. Um, but, like, the the whole series is kind of based in, like, this Tibetan mystics, which in itself is, like... <laughs> could, could go in some really bad directions. Yeah, but, so, like, these, this Ancient One, which teaches Doctor Strange magic, is, like, this... Tibetan mystic, right? Is being played by Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just heard I just realized what you said. Really? Yeah, so like what was like a Tibetan man <laughs> is now a white lady. Interesting. And like the cat like the the casting crew kind of wanted everyone to pat them on the back for casting a woman as this male role and it's like but no no one wanted to address the fact that there was like an Asian role that yeah. they now is now a white character. But That's- like the one Asian role that they're preserving is, like, Dr. Strange's manservant, because, like... Oh, gosh! Oh, now yeah. you're getting me mad about this. <laughs> yeah, See, I knew nothing about it, now I'm really grumpy. Yeah, and it's just, like, because that's not... That's not a problem at all. Okay. And do you think sometimes the racism that is generally removed from some movies can now be placed in this fantasy world? Because, like, Asian manservant... I mean, I think thought that I would think that most people would say you know what let me not do that because there's a long history of that characterization that I wonder if a movie would say I mean of course they would make it like the wacky black friend but I think that in a one context there might be some pause but because it's fantasy or because it's superheroes that there's a little bit there's a sense of license around these issues I I, I would agree that I, I feel like I mean it's kind of like Lord of the Rings and why like why are there no like people of color anywhere? That's in how Lord I feel about Rings. Star Wars. Yeah. I just saw Star Wars for the first time like five months ago, and I was like, "What galaxy and what 
time are there no people of color and there's one yeah. woman? Like, come on. I don't get this world. They've only just started to fix it in The Force Awakens where there's, Too like, late. John Boyega and Oscar <laughs> Isaac and that's, like, it. Oh, yeah, there's, there's like, the, the mixed-race pilot who gets, like, one line and she's in, like, one scene. I, I, <laughs> I was just like, what, what world is this? And, you know, it's so funny because I'm not a big Hollywood movie person, but um, recently I saw the trailer for the movie Mother's Day. And it is an all-white cast. There's one black comedian who, I guess, is in the trailers. But let's say that we're like, okay, we want to be true to form. But Mother's Day, like, they couldn't think of any women of color as moms. Like, this is, this is like, yeah. the most reductive thing. Like, let's say there's no superheroes or people who can, like, shoot fire through their throat. Fine. I will give you yeah. that. Whatever. But, you know, but I do think that there's a way that these impulses start to mirror each other. Well, we couldn't find a person of color to play anyone's mom, so we can't yeah. find a person of color to play, you know, Aquaman or whatever. That, that actually reminds me of the fact that, so the most recent Marvel movie that's coming out is Captain America Civil War. It, it, I think it's coming out, it's coming out very soon. Like the U.S. Civil War? Um, no. It's, oh. So there was... <laughs> Sorry, historian so problems. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big, like, Marvel comic plotline. Okay. It's... It, I don't know why it's specifically a Captain America movie when it should have been, like, an Avengers movie, but the whole idea is essentially the U.S. government wants to implement this, like, superhero registration system because they're, like, this vigilante thing is causing way too much, like, property damage. Oh, my so, gosh. Like, so, all of the superheroes are divided over whether or not they think it's a good thing, and it causes, like, a civil war within the superhero world over whether or not they support it. And now the superheroes are fighting each other over whether or not they want, they support this registration thing. It was a really weak plot line, and it ended kind of terribly. Like, critics, when it came out in, like, 2006 or something like that, were all kind of like, we really don't know how we feel about this. Yeah. But, so they're making that into, like, so this movie is coming out, I think it's coming out in May, like, it's coming out very soon. But they're introducing, so they finally are introducing, like, Black Panther, who was, like, one of the biggest mainstays for black superheroes in the Marvel cinema, like Marvel universe at all. But one of my friends mentioned to me, like they were reading his Wikipedia page and it's like the things that they had to do to justify a black superhero. Oh, interesting. Like, he is so much more power. Like he has like all of these ridiculous <laughs> powers. He's like one of the wealthiest people in the world. He's considered like, he's one of the top 10 smartest people. He's like, he's a prince. He's like an inventor. He's, a, like, he's like a general. He's like one of the most like, m like smartest military strategists. He's like, like he's like every superhero in one. Like to That's justify so the fact, like to make a black person a superhero, he had to be like, 18 times better than every other white superhero or something. Wow. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, they couldn't just make a black guy a superhero like anyone else. And so that's interesting. Now, Black Panther is being written, too, by ta Coates, right? Is that the one that he's doing? Yeah. I think so. This is... So this is really interesting to me. So I, I have to ask, like, who... When you were either, like, a kid or now, who do you talk to about this stuff? Are there... Uh, do you have a lot of peers who are interested in, at this deep level and this type of stuff as you are? Yeah, actually, a lot of my friends here, I think that's how I found my friends Got here, are the ones that I, like, um, the person I collaborated on with the video game that we made. Uh, this is, like, essentially what we talk about all of the time is stuff like this. Um, I'm actually, I'm on the Georgetown Independent, or at least I was before, mm -hmm. like, this graduation thing happened, and it's, so it's Georgetown's Arts and Entertainment magazine, and 
that's essentially all we write about mm -hmm. is like we have a commentary section where essentially like this thing happened in film or movies or like art and this is how it influences culture like this is why we think this is a really bad thing or like this is why we're really angry about this right now and that's essentially all we do and so how do you like your your not arts classes kind of come together because as a music major you have very serious study yeah. and then you have these other classes do you find how do you like meld those two worlds together I mean, I mean, as a music major, I think one of the cool things is, so some of the classes that I was required to take were things like jazz history mm -hmm. and rock history, where we talk about stuff like that. So I think I was really lucky. So like in rock history and jazz history, we talked a lot about like the intersectionality of like race and music and like essentially how we had these forms of music that were essentially completely stolen mm -hmm. from like their black creators and just completely whitewashed to the point where like you could have white creators doing very racist things through these art forms that were originated by black creators. Um, so like I was really lucky I think to have an education like that in my major. Other than that, like other courses, I mean I had your intro to history. Right? Oh right, we took a civil rights course, right. very good. I mean so I had that. Other than like I mean I was a computer science minor. So mm -hmm. that's like just completely unrelated. <laughs> that's just on its, its own world. I guess that helped me with the video game. Like it gave yeah. me the kind of like foundation to the science side things that I needed to learn for that. But what a, what a cool, well-rounded education. So tell me about this video game that you've been working endlessly on. Especially the past two weeks. I feel like I haven't <laughs> slept in a month. But except for like last night, I like got home and slept for like 12 hours. Fair sleep is important. Yeah, like I'll finally get to experience it again. <laughs> but, okay, so it's called Down River. Um, it takes place in the city of Sable, which is a fictional city uh, that we pulled. I don't even know what state it's in. It's just completely made up. But it takes place, you play as a private investigator named Sherbrooke. Um, completely gender neutral, so anyone. Love it. Yeah, so it's, all references to Sherbrooke use Third, third person pronoun, so it could be anyone. Um, and you have just received your dead colleague's computer in the mail. And when you open it up, there is a little audio file called Sherbrooke Listen ASAP. And when you click on it, essentially your colleague Annalise Patton tells you, hey, I'm in mortal danger, <laughs> but I have all of the evidence of whoever could have killed me on this computer. Could you just do me a favor and figure out who did it? So you're essentially just tasked with going through and figuring out who killed your colleague. And it kind of takes you through this like convoluted plot of this case that Patton had been working on involving Lydia Knox, who was this upper class person in the city of Sable who ran away from like her life. And she was, so Patton was hired to like go find her and figure out what she was doing. And he's kind of tied in with her brother who was a, was a local politician who's running for mayor and kind of gets in, like, Lydia's kind of now kind of involved with, like, these shady people who are in with the mob, but also kind of involved with, like, this secret society of old money, and it's, like, all, eventually, like, all these people want her dead, and then, like, how does Patton get involved with that, and that kind of thing, so. So did you have anything to do with the narrative, or was it all your friend, or um, did you collaborate on that? Yeah, so actually, the idea was given to me by my sister. Oh. Um, like, last year, she was like, 
you should make this game for me because I want to play it, but <laughs> I can't make it myself. I would totally play that game. That's like right up my alley. Um, well, well, eventually you. I, I will, when it's when it's all done, I'll send you a link. So I love I love that. So was it intentional to embed class politics into the game? Kind of. Yeah. Um, we wanted to because a lot of the characters were upper class and like that was already that was always kind of positive that there would be like this upper class people who kind of had control over the city we wanted to put Patton as someone who would be very opposite that and she's kind of your filter for the whole game like every, most of the events that happen throughout the game like you're getting it through her mm-hmm. eyes so it there is very much like this kind of friction between like how she views things and like what these other group of people are doing it kind of reminds me of the I, I imagine you were into this. The first two seasons of Veronica Mars. A lot of really good class politics in the early episodes um, about this town and the tech industry and the haves and have-nots. I really, really liked Veronica Mars for that reason. Veronica Mars was also a very good film, like film noir. And then the college years became a little sexist with the, like... Yeah, the third season was... The third season wasn't the best. And I really did enjoy the movie. Mm. But that was one of the closest things I could see, like, if I were... Even though I watched Veronica Mars way into my 20s, I would say, like, oh, if I was a teenage girl, this would be a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Um, What were some of the things outside of the video game world or the comic books that... Parts of popular culture that you thought were really compelling growing up? Um, I mean, so, like, I watched... Like, I watched TV growing up... uh, shows I mean like I watched like the standard I think the shows that I grew up with were all of like those TV shows I mean like, I had like Powerpuff Girls mm-hmm. and like Dexter's Lab all those like standard kids shows um I actually didn't I watched less TV as I got older I think mm-hmm. uh started playing like more video games I mean I read I read a lot of Tamara Pierce as a kid who's um, that she's she's like this fantasy author she wrote a lot of like specifically like very feminist angled fantasy like for like for like young were you not twilight i was i actually i read the twilight books when they came out for a book club Uh and like they were they were entertaining enough to like carry me through it but Mm -hmm. like it was very much like as a middle schooler i could have written something better than this i just i find the message of twilight so disturbing it is it's really disturbing (laughs) that this woman just completely falls apart once like the vampire i I could never get into it the romantic like romanticizing abusive relationships on it is very troubling but (laughs) it was like as like a kid who doesn't really like i was i think i might have honestly been like 13 when they Mm -hmm. came out and you're like what the hell's going on and i was just kind of like why is he watching her in her sleep and why is she okay with that it's so creepy but it's also just like this prose is just like yeah not that great. <laughs> so, when you think about the landscape of where you feel like your music and your scoring of video games is going to take the industry or going to take you, what do you imagine? I mean, so I, I mean, like I'm a very liberal person. Like mm-hmm. I'm, so I feel like anything that I end up creating is like I, even unintentionally, is probably going to have like that kind of progressive edge to it. Like, I think it's going to be hard for me to willingly create something that's not vaguely feministic mm-hmm. or, like, that's not very much aware of, like, race politics or, like, gender politics, anything. on Like, I remember while we were creating the game, as we were doing things, we were like, wait, like, wait a second, we're killing this character, like, we're killing this one character, 
that's really problematic. We need to change that. Like, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even intentional. It's like we know this. Like this one character is going to die, and it's like, but at the same time, we need to like include this one kind of character. Why don't we do it? No, we can't do that. Yeah. It's like we like. Well, we want to include like a queer character because mm-hmm. like that's something we should do. Why don't we make? No, that character is dying. <laughs> that's really bad because there's like such a long history of queer characters dying and like. Especially just 2016 alone, yeah. so many queer characters have died. Especially queer women, like female characters, have died. And it's like, we can't kill a, a queer female character. Like that would be the worst thing ever. So it's like, that. So that character, that that character is queer now. The one that survives <laughs> is queer now. That I love character that. can be like ambiguous, but probably read as straight because that's what people do. Because that's heteronormativity in action. <laughs> if I knew there were video games that you made, I might start playing video games. <laughs> But it's just like other things. It's just like, so like we need. So a lot of a lot of my friends are just like white, and it's like friends that like I could be like, hey, I need you to like do this, like take a picture for me real quick. So it's like, the two characters that we have pictures for currently mm-hmm. are like white, and we want to change that at some point. We want to mm-hmm. include more diversity. I mean, Patton is coded as probably mixed race because mm-hmm. I'm voicing her and I'm mixed race, <laughs> so like that just kind of happened. Transitive properties. Yeah. Um. So that just kind of happened, but. Like, we want to include more characters of color in the game, especially as we expand it, now that we don't have, like, this deadline telling us that we need to get it done really quickly. Um, so everything is like, oh, could we make this character? It's like, no, there are really bad connotations if we made this character, like, mm-hmm. a certain... So, like, we need to definitely, like... But this character, like, this character is definitely safe to do. So, mm-hmm. like, we're definitely thinking about all of those things. And like, why do you think it's so hard for so many people in the industry not to think that way? I think a lot of them just probably... It might just be, like, privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, whoever they are as creators, like, they don't have to think about those things when they're making stuff, or they've just never been exposed to situations where they've had to think about those things. So, like, they'll be like, we're trying to be progressive. Like, see, we've included this black character, this queer Who's going to, like, die immediately. Yeah, but, like, so they... But, like, at the same time... So, like, it could have been, like, a situation... Like, this character has always been slated to die. We know that. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need a black character... Okay, we got one, mm-hmm. and they don't think about the fact that it's extremely pro- problematic to just immediately kill off the black character. But they think, but we've included the black character, right. and they're not thinking about how those like what that means in real life because like they're so trapped in like the the narrative world that they're kind of forgetting that the narrative world and like the real world like they can't just ignore the real world. And because, possibly because of, like, the privilege, they've never had to think about that. Like, they don't have to think about representation if they're privileged. Like, if they have that privilege, like, they've never had to consider, like, what representation actually means and those kinds of things. Um, I think uh, Sean, who is my collaborator, and I, like, because we spend so much time talking about, like, what all of this stuff means, like, in media, like... We, like, we talk about, like, the fact that Black Panther had to be ten times better than every yeah. other superhero to justify the fact that there was a black superhero. So, like, we try to be aware of this stuff. And, like, we, like, we created this character as, like, oh, yeah, no, wait. Now that we think about it, that would be a problem. We have to change these things around. Like, so I think just, like, being aware of these things, I mm-hmm. think, is definitely, like, just that alone helps immensely. Just, like, at, having that perspective and so when you think of like the great soundtracks or the great scores what are some of the ones that come to mind i mean the ones that i grew up with just instantly is like the final fantasy series i actually i know that one and that is amazing so like nobuo oematsu and like every all of the work that he did for final fantasy 
um, Journey, the Journey soundtrack, which is like this indie game that came out 2011 or so, mm-hmm. I think. It's which is in a, like it's a visually stunning game on its own, but it also has like a beautiful soundtrack. Um, other games that I had a couple earlier that I was thinking of. Obviously, they're not that great if I can't remember them now. <laughs> Hence the sleep problem. Yeah. Um, well, Annie, to wrap up our conversation, there's a question I ask everyone. Um, and you might want to, you can add a musical or artistic bent to this, but if there was one thing you wish all your professors knew about you in your four years at Georgetown, what would you want them to know? Oh, goodness, this is such a hard question. <laughs> I feel like this is also a question that I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to think about. I, I should have gotten more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it can be something funny. Um, yeah, wow, I'm like really just drawing like a complete blank on this. Like, I don't know, I feel like I already talked about a lot of the stuff that I would have wanted my professors to have known. Yeah. But I'm actually a super funny person. <laughs> that you are super fun. Are you quiet in class? I, You're yeah, a little quiet. quiet in class. I have, like, major social anxiety, usually, so I don't like to talk in class at all. Yeah. Yeah, it gets, it gets the heart pounding super hard. Oh, so, like, but I you usually, have so many thoughts. I do have a lot of thoughts. I feel like I'm better one-on-one than I am in a big class. Okay. setting. I mean, that could be it, that I'm better one-on-one in a big, big class setting. Although, like, I never went to office hours because it was always poorly scheduled. <laughs> I had too many classes. Well, I'm glad you came to these office hours. Thank you for joining us. That was really good. Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marsha Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media on Twitter at Office Hours Pod and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.